Welcome, Mistorians. Host Austin Heave She and host Brenda She Her have been waiting for you. Come along for Secret Histories of Nerd Mysteries. Good morning, Mistorians. Welcome to episode 102 Dalmatians of Secret Histories and Nerd Mysteries. <laughs> Is that joke any funnier this week? Is it? Do you guys still like it? Sorry, one second. Do you I like have it to again? post my be real woman moment. <laughs> be real was like, it's time right now. And I'm like, this is right now while we're recording. Usually I'm not doing anything exciting for me. It's like, it's time for your be real. And I'm like, washing my hands. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> Or it's like, time for your be real. And I'm like, I don't, my dish, my sink is full of dishes. Please come back later. And other people will be like, like, I have a lot of podcast people on there. And they'll be like, it's always like they're recording or they're answering emails. Or they're, like, they're like working. I'm like, damn, it looks like I don't work. <laughs> Mine would just be like, oh, Brenda's laying down over here. <laughs> oh, look, Brenda's laying down over here now. Oh, now Brenda's over here laying down. <laughs> Well, Austin, have you decided what you wanted the news to be? Uh, yeah, I was going to do a funny bit, but then David Zlazoff did something that made me angry. So we're not getting that one. Sorry, everybody. Blame, blame David <laughs> twice this week. So you may have heard of a little movie called Coyote vs. Acme. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It is an unreleased comedy film about Wiley e. Coyote suing Acme. Who's Wiley Coyote? Uh, Wiley Coyote is that if you're our age, he was the guy who always was getting his <laughs> teeth kicked in by a bird. If you're younger than us, I don't have a frame of reference to give you whatsoever. He is a coyote from the Looney Tunes verse. Oh no, he was in <laughs> he was in Space Jam. He's in Space Jam, right? He's in yeah. both the Space Jam. <laughs> I forgot space. Has Gen Z slash early Gen Alpha seen Space Jam? I feel like there's a high chance because like people our age are their parents, right? So this is true. This is true. So that yes. feels like a really easy kids movie. Anyway, he's a Looney Tunes and Mary Medley's like cartoon coyote who is not coyote size. He's like a man. <laughs> Just think of Bugs Bunny, but he's a coyote instead. If you can't picture that, I can't help you. Google is free. He looks exactly like Ralph Wolf, except he has a black nose instead of a now red Brenda, nose. So. Now Brenda. I mean, now everyone Brenda. knows Ralph Wolf. <laughs> everyone knows Ralph Wolf from the classic game, PS1 game. Sheep operate, sheep, the sheep one, the sheep game where you have to steal the sheep starring ralph wolf you know everyone knows that game <laughs> anyway it was a movie that got put on the shelf by Warner brothers discovery for a tax write-off supposedly they then said actually we'll shop it around someone could buy it allegedly according to sources 
they told everyone no, like no one gave an offer good enough, and they are shelving it and most likely fully deleting it so they can get the full tax credit. We need some grand larceny. <laughs> we need someone, Ryan Gosling, because we need some- Ryan Gosling just came out with that thing about the water tower. Oh, yeah. He was like, you can just knock on the water tower and the Animaniacs would be in there. Ryan Gosling, I need you to break into Warner <laughs> Brothers headquarters, free the Animaniacs, and steal... <laughs> <laughs> Wiley Coyote. I don't know if he needs to. Versus I don't know if he needs to steal it. Like he could you open Ryan Gosling. Open a new movie studio, and the only movie is this movie. I promise you'll make your money back if you just wait. I think that like like Zaslav, David Zaslav, and um, Warner Brothers, you know, said that they would sell the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think they ever actually intended to sell the no, movie. It doesn't feel good. I think they just said that to try to get some heat off their backs. And then they were like, oh, no deal was good yeah. enough. I think they never intended to sell it. They always intended to destroy this movie. Like they are just trying to like, be like, we're, we don't delete every movie. We'll sell some. Yeah. And the, the, the reason why it seems like they didn't want to sell it is again, according to, sources according to people on the inside they were looking for 75 to 80 million dollars no one offered that but here's the here's the thing they didn't tell anyone that's what it costs people gave their offer which was probably way under that because it's a business negotiation and instead of like counter offering and negotiating they just said no and walked away from the table good lord (laughs) all the big studios were interested netflix amazon paramount because this is wiley coyote and this is not a little project John Cena is in this movie. Will Forte is in this movie. It's written by James Gunn. James Gunn's also the producer. <laughs> Come on. This movie like had like great, what do they call those? Mm-hmm. Great mm-hmm. pre-showing? Yes. There's a word. Yes. Pre-screenings? Great previews. Yeah. <laughs> when they showed it to people, people loved it. They thought it was really funny. And like David Zaslav this morning was just like, oh, I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> and like others... Yeah, he's like, he hasn't seen it. He didn't watch it. He was just like, "Mm, cancel it. It's like, what? Excuse me? And then like one of the other producers is probably not James Mm -hmm. Gunn, I'm going to guess. But one of the other producers was like, oh, I only saw like a very early draft, you know, like that probably had like a stuffed. A stuffed coyote. Coyote. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like just a real coyote that's been (laughs) stuffed and and, like like, taxidermied and like warped into the vague figure of a man that's what they they probably saw instead of the cgi or animated one (laughs) so this is this is not a little project this is not like a not that like anything else they've shown has been a little project frankly which is wild this is another big name project that everyone who got to see it or who's gotten to see some of it or seen some of the early screening or worked on the movie was excited for it had a huge buzz everyone was into it everyone was ready and it's another movie that they're just like nah yeah they don't want it and it's like and they don't want anyone else to want it either (laughs) it's weird because there's another looney tunes fully animated feature film coming out later this year so it's not just the looney tunes per se Mm -hmm. they weren't like oh well no one wants the looney tunes Mm -hmm. baffling and the government needs to step in and do something about this because supposedly we have like laws and regulations that should prevent this from happening but Mm. because studios can write these movies off on their taxes Mm. and destroy them and get money back we don't know what they were offered or how those talks went like no no other studio has come out and been public about it yet because i'm sure Mm -hmm. i'm sure at least some of them are still fighting like what if i could get it though 
because this is guaranteed to make money. You write it off. They don't get all the money. So the budget for this sum is $70 million. They don't get $70 million for writing it off. They get some of it. Mm-mm. And yeah. what's the point? Release <laughs> exactly. the movie. You get money when you release a movie. Like you have to release movies to get money. If you don't release it, I don't know how you don't get it. If you put the movie out, you could also make money. And I understand it's like, well, what if we don't? I think it's like, like you get half back or whatever. So what, half of 70 is like 35, 40 ish, depending on how the numbers and the math shake out. You may not get $35 million. Mm-hmm. I understand that. I understand that. But you you could get money. And if you gave it legs, if you put it in theaters and then you actually put it out for a physical release where people could buy it. Boston, no. Physical yeah, media? Christ. Come on, that's dead. Yes. How dare you even bring anyway. that up? There's serious evidence that Warner Brothers is abusing this loophole. This is what? The third big project at least? Exactly, because you have Mm -hmm. Batgirl, which was just a streaming project, and then you have Scoob Holiday Mm -hmm. Hijinks, which was completely finished. They had already paid for the music! They they (laughs) recorded the music after it was closed because they already paid for it! It's like, what are they supposed to do? They just recorded music that is never going to be seen or heard now, because that's how you absorb music, with your ears. I just can't. I can't fathom, like, I don't know how close this project was to being done. I know it was supposed to come out this year originally. I can't fathom. Mm-hmm. That would be like if we worked on this show, right? If this show was structured different, we did, like, seasons. And we worked on, like, two seasons front-loaded, so we had, like, a year off or whatever. And Max Fun came in like, actually, we're never releasing that podcast ever, and we're deleting the files. You can never hear it again. <laughs> and this show takes up, like... I don't know, maybe like 10 hours of our lives weekly. Mm-hmm. It's not our full-time thing. I can't imagine my what my full-time job was for mm, like two years, because I think they started filming it two years ago. And that's yeah. live action. The animators are probably working on it long before that. Oh, the animators are fucked because animators depend on credits. Exactly. If the movie doesn't come out, they don't get to say they worked on it. They don't get to release their work. They don't get to put it in their portfolio. Nothing. They are fucked. Same thing for any of the voice work done for the animated cast, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't even know the the full gambit of what animated characters are going to show up besides Wiley Cody and Roadrunner. We have no idea who else is going to show up. It's Looney Tunes. Anything can happen. Michael Jordan could show up. Michael Jordan can show up. Scooby-Doo can show up. Any Hanna-Barbera character can show up. Matthew Lillard could show up and just be like, hey. Matthew Lillard. Or Matthew Lillard, star of Scream. And also maybe a movie you've heard of, Scooby-Doo. And then Scooby-Doo shows up. We have no idea. We have no idea what we're going to do. We have, no, we have no clue. And if they get their way, we'll never have any clue. And it's just like mm-hmm. very wild to think that all of this time you spent on something for years and months right development started mm-hmm. in 2018 on the original script is just gone you're like i missed yeah two years of birthday parties oh well <laughs> especially for the animators like working on something like this is mm-hmm. a big de- like you got to work on a looney tunes thing i don't care that's a huge deal and frankly it's a way that it's like holding people hostage because now it's like well the only people who know i did it are the people from this company who make him just deleting my work but they like like, oh, yeah, we saw that thing before we deleted it. <laughs> yeah, there's now a giant hole in their resume. Like, hey, what were you doing from 2018 to 2024, my guy? 
And they're like, well, I can tell you what I was working on, but let me say it just, it never came like, out. Oh, was it garbage? <laughs> no, it was great. It was some of my best work, I thought. <laughs> like, can you imagine? God. Anyway, we have to yeah. move on. <laughs> we are going to take a short break and then we will be back with our topic bum, of bum, the bum, week. Bum. Hello, sleepyheads. Sleeping with Celebrities is your podcast pillow pal. We talk to remarkable people about unremarkable topics, all to help you slow down your brain and drift off to sleep. For instance, we have the remarkable Neil Gaiman. I'd always had a vague interest in live culture, food preparation. Sleeping with Celebrities, hosted by me, John Moe, on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Night night. Loading. Topic of the week. Welcome back, everyone. Gaming. Video gaming. Austin, have you heard of video Never gaming? Never in my life, actually. What is that? Let me explain. Since the dawn of man, man has wanted to play a little game on a little electric screen. <laughs> this has been depicted in the hieroglyphs of Egypt. Just watch Ancient Aliens. It's true. <laughs> This has been seen in cave paintings dating back to the, the far off year of 1972. <laughs> <laughs> Video games. We love them. We love to play them. Video games have been a part of a millennial's childhood you know, big the console wars. We all know that. Since the dawn of video gaming, the goal has always been, can we make this smaller? Tiny. Yeah. <laughs> can we take this giant supercomputer in this entire room and turn it into something that the common man can access? Can we take this massive arcade cabinet and fit it into people's homes? Now, can we fit it into people's hands? How much smaller could it be? Tiny. Oh, too small. A little bit bigger. Too small. A little bit, a little bit bigger. We see a little bit of the gateway micros too far, too far. Reverse. <laughs> <laughs> so... It stands to reason that as soon as the technology was able, video game companies created handheld gaming. Mm -hmm. Now, you would think, maybe that's the topic of the week. It's not. You're going to have to hold on for a second. I'm taking you on a journey. <laughs> I'm holding on. Are you, listener, are you holding on? Brenda said, hold on, hold on. 1976, Mattel releases Auto Race, which is a handheld game that used simple red lights to imitate a semblance of a racing game. Very rudimentary, bare bones technology. In 1979, Milton Bradley releases the Microvision. This would be the first handheld gaming device to utilize interchangeable hmm. cartridges. So these two gaming systems mostly lost to the the annals of time. The annals. It's annals. annals. It's not annals. Just, it is <laughs> annals. It's not annals. I was gonna. I, I could see it in my head, and I was like, "Is that how do I say this word?" Um, it was the first way I said it. Not anals. <laughs> so while these video game systems are important to the history of video gaming as a whole, our story finds us in Japan on a train in the year 1979. A man is sitting, watching another businessman from across the aisle. He's fussing with the buttons of an LED calculator in an attempt to entertain himself. To the average oh. person, this interaction would be insignificant. However, this small moment in time would become one of the most pivotal moments in video gaming history. This 
is the moment that Gunpei Yokoi, one of Nintendo's head toy yeah. designers, has the spark of an idea that would go on to become the first Game & Watch in 1980. I knew it. I, you said the LED calculator. is like, we've talked about this in passing. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is about Gunpei Yokoi, the father of handheld video gaming. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. I need, you to tell, I need to tell you something so fucking funny. Yes, what last week i almost did this <laughs> i was like what am i gonna do well i mean i started getting ready like two three weeks ago i was like what am i gonna do yeah and i was like i was like game something something cartoon something and i was like we haven't talked about <laughs> gaming <laughs> Oh my god, that's so... I would have just been screaming. <laughs> I would have been yelling. Because I, like I I had this ready, like, last week. Yeah, I had this you ready even to go. offered. I, like, Brenda sat even down offered. And... Brenda was like, do you want me to just go? And I was yeah. like, no, we should just stay in the right rotation. And <laughs> I was like, I can go. I had a moment of inspiration. I just, like, sat down and just, like, just, just went, just, like, researched, like, had all these windows open. I was like, I'm ready. I would have screamed. <laughs> So Gunpei Yokoi would initially get his job at Nintendo in 1965 as an assembly line worker at the Hanafuda card warehouse. Because as we said before, Nintendo originally made Hanafuda cards. They did a cards. lot of stuff, everybody. They did a lot of stuff. <laughs> this is in, still in their Hanafuda era where they're like, yeah, we make we cards. Make, We've we made make cards. cards. We definitely don't have love hotels yet. <laughs> exactly. Don't ask us about those. Just cards. <laughs> So times are changing. People aren't playing with Hanafuda cards as much as they used to. Things are modernizing in Japan at a rapid pace. The legend goes that Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi came down to the warehouse mm. one day and saw an extending arm toy that Yokoi had created. Mm. He just happened to have this in the warehouse with him and was like messing around with mm. it. I'm assuming instead of doing his <laughs> fucking job, <laughs> which was to pack Hanafuda cards. Quiet quitting over here, huh? Are ya? Exactly. But fortunately, Yamauchi liked it so much that instead of firing Yokoi, he rushed this thing into production. This toy is the Ultra Hand, uh, which was born. Why did I write born? You know, no, keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it. Austin, my notes, my notes say born and released in 1966. Why did I word because it like that? Because it was that? born. He birthed it. The Ultra Hand was born and released in 1966. <laughs> This toy would go on to sell 1.2 million units. Hey, everybody, that's that's a lot. Do you know how much of a lot that is? It, what year are we in, Brenda? We are in 1966. That's a lot. A million is a lot of anything. <laughs> yeah. That's not seen as a lot to yeah. game companies now. A million's a lot. A million in a world where, like, no one has a frame of reference for what they're getting is obscene. Mm-hmm. This is post-war japan so the war ended in the 40s japan has been reconstructing modernizing at an incredibly rapid mm -hmm. pace so you have for the first time a middle class starting to mm -hmm. form that has some disposable income to buy toys so this is wild from then on Gunpei Yokoi is a toy inventor. Goes from packing cards in a warehouse to becoming Nintendo's top <laughs> toy inventor. <laughs> Damn. He makes more and more toys. There's like a love tester that he works on. I think we've talked about the love tester before. There's a bunch mm -hmm. of stuff. That it's all like ultra whatever. But then 1973, the oil crisis happens. Oh, right. <laughs> Yeah, so in the 70s, there was like a massive oil crisis. Oil is required in the making of plastic, which is what a lot of these toys... Plastic was also revolutionary at this time. People were like, we can just make anything we want. Did you listen last week about Brenda's plastic car? Yeah. 
Exactly. Also, I bet you didn't know oil was in it for plastic, everybody. So making toys where it was like Nintendo's way to diversify their portfolio, to put it one way, mm-hmm. they now have found that it is prohibitively expensive to mass produce toys. So they're like, uh-oh, we gotta, we gotta find something else. <laughs> so they're like, hmm, what about video game? <laughs> <laughs> Wild pivot there, guys. Wild pivot. Okay. <laughs> So, Nintendo's first video game, Radar Scope, we talk more about this in our Console War mm-hmm. series. Radar Scope doesn't do well. It's a complete flop. So, there's all of these Radar Scope cabinets that need to be repurposed. Mm-hmm. So, Gunpei Okoi works alongside an untested game developer. Um, Austin, do you know who this is? Um, yes, but I just forgot his name. Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Uh... Oh my god. Mario. <laughs> it's Mario Mario's Mario. Daddy. <laughs> it's Mario. It's Mario Mario, Mario the first. It's Shigeru Miyamoto, yes, who I I... hasn't really worked on video games at this point. He's not their first choice to work on this project. Because <laughs> other game designers are like off working on other things. And meanwhile, they're like, hmm, I guess we'll have Shigeru work on doing something with these cabinets we don't want to <laughs> deal with. <laughs> Austin, what comes out of this collaboration? What do these radar scope cabinets become? It's Donkey Kong. It's Donkey Kong. <laughs> Gunpei Okoi, along with Shigeru Miyamoto, and some other, other people, people whose names have been lost. <laughs> who, who did not, other who people did not whose stick names around. have been lost to the anus of time. <laughs> <laughs> other people who got their paycheck are like, damn, I get how much for this? Forever. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm goodbye. <laughs> I respect it. So Donkey Kong, um, it was a little bit of a big deal. Just a smidge. <laughs> Just a smidge. It's only a game that is still continued to be played to this very day, is released in many, many different formats. So like every consecutive generation after this mm-hmm. has experienced it and played it. Mm-hmm. You know, Donkey Kong. Grown men fight for this game. That's not an exaggeration. Exactly. It does... <laughs> It does bonkers numbers. It moves all the rest of those radar scope cabinets, changes video game history as a whole. Yeah. You know, it's big deal. So it would seem at this point that Gunpei Okoi can't lose. He has come into this company at exactly the right time. He has created like, you know, maybe Ultra Hand. That was a big deal. He pivoted Nintendo into gaming, just wins all around. And Austin, the wins will not stop here. <laughs> <laughs> you're all thinking you're all thinking oh and then this is where he messed up but history forgot about it no i he he just wins i i don't know what to tell you gunpei doesn't he miss. doesn't mess up <laughs> yet we'll get to that later but for now things are still going great 1980 sees the release of the first game and watch handheld device so in America, maybe we don't know what the Game & Watch yeah. is. We didn't really get them. I think most people's frame of reference for the Game & Watch is he's in, he's a character in Smash Yes, Brothers. and people are very confused. <laughs> I remember my friends all being like, who the fuck is this? What is this stage? Who the hell what is, is this going guy? on? And I was like, oh, it's he's this from the Game & Watch. It was a handheld game that, oh, you don't know what I'm talking about. And then I stopped and pretended yeah. I was <laughs> This is some niche Nintendo history here. The Game & Watch didn't come to America. Donkey Kong did and was like an incredible yeah. success. But some of their smaller endeavors, such as the Game & Watch, did not end up coming to America. 
more and more of these devices end up getting released over the years. They become more elaborate. In 1982, Nintendo actually releases a handheld version of Donkey Kong. And it was this handheld port that features the first use of Nintendo's signature D-pad, the cross-directional uh. pad that all Nintendo consoles have had since. This is so significant for video gaming. If you think about video game controllers, Austin, can you describe some, think of some video game controllers before this point. What were they like? Oh, before this? <laughs> Horrible. Before this. So Awful. like, the NES is not out. What, the Atari's, describe the Atari's You know what? The controller. Atari's controller doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, <laughs> I remember seeing it as a child. The Atari controller is like Satan's dildo. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's got this giant joystick that just sticks straight up, like Satan's peen, and it's got some buttons. Yeah. So you're supposed to hold on. They were trying to mimic arcade yes. cabinets at the time, which had like these big, big controllers. Knobs, yeah. But yeah, that works when it's set into an arcade yeah. cabinet and it doesn't move, but you have to hold it on the bottom yeah. and then hold the, the controller. It's, it's you know, So it's very unwieldy. And Atari's um, controllers would not become any better. No. One second, I need to go look at. I need to get up and go look at. I have a Sendrix. Yeah, the one that's the fucking guitar pedal. Um. Yes. Get some visuals before I described it. Okay, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Okay, so the controller for the Atari 7800, which was not a successful no. console, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a guitar pad. It has these two big red buttons on mm -hmm. each side, so you, you would like kind of hold it in one hand and have the buttons and kind of hover two fingers over the buttons, and then it also has like a big control stick sticking a out of the top. A Unwieldy. It is funny. Something that I've noticed when you watch stuff from the 90s and 80s and you watch people play video games on like clearly a nintendo or like a sega or something else mm -hmm. with a d-pad essentially the way they get animated holding and moving the controller is clearly being drawn by people who are used to like atari controllers because they like stand up and they hold them at weird angles and i'm yes. like yes that's what you do with an atari but everyone like our age like not like we you just sit because you don't have to be a weirdo <laughs> you don't have to like hold it really weird you just two hands hand yeah. on the buttons it's wild that it's like that it took so <laughs> yeah. long that they were just like what if we just put like two buttons in the <laughs> a, the a pad or or something like right here and then you hold it in your hands and everyone's <laughs> like oh no and they're like no so like when you hold like most stuff you just hold it in your hands <laughs> and it just seems to make sense if you hold it in your hands you know like hold it in your hands exactly and it's really interesting that like other gaming systems if you think of the, the playstation controller the xbox controller they've really adopted that two-hand yeah. style like most video games honestly the only example i can think of someone moving away from this would it's be Nintendo themselves Nintendo. with the wii they were like let's change yeah. it up and everybody's like no you guys had it right the first time run it run it back <laughs> <laughs> run it back, run it back. And even still, you could flip the Wii, Wii controller could. to be kind of in you that could. format, except it was um, so small. <laughs> We're getting really close to when Nintendo releases the Famicom, the family computer, mm -hmm. 1983. Mm -hmm. It's a big hit in Japan, you know, big mm -hmm. deal. So Famicom's selling really well. Donkey Kong sold really well for them. Mm -hmm. And Donkey Kong sold really well in the American mm -hmm. market. So Nintendo's like, what if we, what if we 
what if we try again? Like we didn't release the game and watch in America, mm-hmm. but what if, what if we just tried to like get our, you know, like Atari's doing really good. Everyone's doing really good. There's lots of video game consoles out. There's the Atari, there's the, the ColecoVision, there's the Intellivision, mm-hmm. there's all of these. What if we just try to like reach our little hand in there and get a piece of mm-hmm. this pie? So they start to kind of try to like plan to make a break into the American market. This is going, you know, going pretty well. But then something happens. Austin, um, what happens to the American video game market in 1983? Oh, <laughs> it goes flat. It goes flat. It explodes. In 1983, an event happens in the American video game market that is colloquially known as the Atari yeah. shock. There are so many people making bad games for it. That it kind of starts to sour everyone's opinion mm-hmm. on video games. Yeah, they 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 just sort of let people do whatever, which I, I'm sure we'll get to. Which, which like paints how Nintendo handles themselves. There's also companies that aren't familiar with video gaming, like Mattel and Hasbro. They're also trying to make video game right. consoles. You have these other companies, and these other companies, like people might be thinking, like, why would they get involved? But again, to everyone else, this is just a toy. This is just the toy that's mm-hmm. hot right now. The 80s is right on the cusp of them all moving back to just making toys because, like, we can make toys and then make cartoons. For the, like, they're right on the cusp of figuring that out. The Atari Shock is in 83 mm-hmm. and 80 is when He-Man came out. Mm-hmm. They're right about to figure that out. And all these companies are just like, these are just other toys for kids. We'll make them until they don't sell and then we'll move on to the next thing. Exactly. They think it's like, you know, because Atari made tons of money with their first console, like just tons and tons and tons of money. So these toy companies see it as like, this is the next toy. This is what we do. Not realizing how much care a video game system, video game systems require upkeep. They require new games. They require updates to keep them relevant. And they didn't like a toy doesn't require that. You release a Teddy Rupp skin and then you kind of just release some some tapes and you're like, okay, good, done. We're done. We're it's good. But with a video game system, they were creating an environment where the a toy company would release a video game system, release a couple games, then nothing else. They're like, you have the toy. Like (laughs) Mm -hmm. you have it. You what do you, you need more? People were becoming like really disillusioned with video games as a whole. Like, is this one going to be supported? Is this video mm-hmm. game going to be, is, it, is this video game going to mm-hmm. work? It was literally getting that bad mm-hmm. where it's like, is this video game going to actually function right. like it's supposed mm-hmm. to? So people just became really disillusioned. Mm-hmm. And so when the Atari shock happens, Atari just completely collapses at this time. This is around the time when the E.T. video oh, game came out. Yeah. And they buried <laughs> them all in the desert. <laughs> imagine making something so bad you bury it in the desert i'm trying to think of a reason why one would seem like it's worth money because again like they they dumped a bunch of them in the desert so it wasn't like a scarcity thing i can't i can't imagine why like i'd be more interested in like the original art something like that you know but like yeah i have an et cartridge from the desert okay i i mean that's a cool story i i don't (laughs) How do you prove that it's exactly. from the desert? <laughs> like, so, okay, so I'm like on, I'm on eBay right now. We'll, we'll get back to the topic in just a second, but I'm on eBay right now. Their prices for this game are all over the map. Like people have it in box, plastic wrapped, $9. Yeah. Then someone has it also in box, plastic wrapped, $400. No. Um, There's an in yeah, the middle, like in box, plastic wrapped <laughs> is pretty, that's pretty incredible. But they're both in the no, plastic exactly. wrap in no, the exactly. box. I was like, I, I would pay more than nine. I'd probably pay what I pay for a game now, like 60. I mean, it's not a good game. And it's so wild that the one that would actually be worth money 
would be covered in sand and dust. It would be rotting. So I could just bury a bunch of these in my backyard and dig them up like 10 years later and be like, look, these are authentically from the desert. They look like they came from the movie Dune and that's how you know they're real. Yep. I dug them up with my own Timothy Chalamet, watch me. That's how you know they're legit. Excuse me, Austin. It's (laughs) Timothee. Please tell me that's not true. No, it's true. I saw an interview with him. He's like, yeah, my name's actually pronounced Timothee, but I don't correct people because it happens so much. Well, yeah, bro. I'm sorry. Your family, (laughs) your parents spelled the Tim. Change the spelling of your name. You're famous. Point at him. French. (laughs) French. Is he French? Oh, I, I don't. Timothee seems French. I guess French. Chalamet, huh? Yeah, here it wants Timothee Chalamet. French. Huh. He's French. The Atari shock happens, and this is the market that Nintendo has decided they're gonna move yep. into. But they don't pump the brakes. They just take a moment and they're like, "All right, we have to go about this a little bit differently. We can't just take the Famicom and place it into an American household." One, because the Famicom, if you look at a picture of the Famicom, it's made a little bit cheaply with like white plastic and it's red and it has like the controllers are like very tiny and they're like hardwired into mm-hmm. the system. It looks very much like a yes. toy and not like a high quote unquote high end no. toy. It's like it's like a little shake it and it just sounds like it's going to crumple into dust. Like Famicoms are not made very like they're made solidly, but they're not made with like no. good material. <laughs> So Nintendo takes a couple step back and they're like, okay, well, um, we've got to uh, rethink this a little bit. So they rebrand the Famicom to the Nintendo Entertainment System and design it to look more like a VCR. We have to make this look like it's going to fit in an American household right next to their fancy yeah, VCR. Exactly. I mean, it's, exa- <laughs> it's exactly that. You know, people often be like, oh, yeah, the Famicom in America is called Nintendo Entertainment System. Like, they're like different things. They're, it's, it's to the point they're like, <laughs> they are different things. <laughs> Like two different breeds yes. of dogs. They're both they they are both a dog. <laughs> I will give you that, but they yes. are not the same dog. <laughs> not the same dog. It's like comparing like a dachshund to a golden retriever. Uh, what? <laughs> that's that's the same yeah, animal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so simultaneously, Nintendo's like, okay, so we we have this little robot here, this little funny <laughs> robot that we made. He's kind of like a peripheral for the Famicom. Mm. We have this little funny robot, and they're like. Okay, we're going to repackage this funny little robot in the box with the Famicom. And we're going to be like, this is an essential part of the mm. NES. And this little this little robot buddy, he's important. He's what makes it, quote unquote, toyetic. <laughs> <laughs> so they package this little robot in with the, the NES. Austin, who designed this robot? Gunpei Akoi. Brought it back around. This robot is named Rob. You remember him from Super Smash Brothers. Everyone was also kind of confused, which is wild because he definitely had more of an impact on the American market, but probably with your parents. (laughs) Rob was packaged in with the NES. Rob works with two games, by the way. Only two. That's that's it. He's not essential to the Mm. use of the NES. As a whole, he works with two games. Rob has been packaged in with the NES to to make it seem more like yeah. a toy and less like a video game system, yeah. which is kind of contradictory because they went out of their way to make it not look like a toy and look like a VCR. But a, but a little bit of a toy. It has to be a little bit of a toy. 
in order to succeed in the American market post-Atari Shock. Around the same time, Nintendo introduces the Nintendo Seal of Quality. So games will actually work. This is... (laughs) Every game that releases and has the Nintendo Seal of Quality will, in theory, work. The NES has released in America with Rob. It has been placed in the toy aisle. It's a hit. Americans are like, oh, wait, maybe video game is okay. Maybe we like video game. And... And yes, sells great. Nintendo, thumbs up success. So during this time, Gunpei Yokoi has just continued to innovate. He's been working, he's been hustling, and he's like, I think it's time. Do you remember, Nintendo? Do you remember the Game & Watch? Mm. I think it's time to update the Game Mm. & Watch. Nintendo's like, really? You sure? (laughs) (laughs) You sure about that? You've never you've never missed before, but I don't uh I don't uh Um I'm not sure we never released the game and watch in the American market. What if they hate handheld gaming? Why would Americans <laughs> hate anything in their hands? <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Austin, what's that we mean? don't like things that are small. Like we had to get used to things being tiny. We didn't like it. When they said when they said it making cell phones, small, like people it. were angry here. People were angry. Oh yes. Yeah, people were like, stop making it yeah, smaller! People, Make it people bigger! People are livid. We are... I don't know what it is. I do. It's an intense sense of insecurity and toxic masculinity. But something about things being <laughs> tiny makes Americans angry. That's why all, like, Amer- Americans, like, with the Switch are just like, it's too yeah. little! The Joy-Cons are too tiny for my yeah. giant hands! And it's like, alright, get a get another Yeah, I don't know what then. to tell you. Buy more stuff. Uh, they've made it... It's made for children. <laughs> Nintendo's made it very clear you're going to buy it anyway, so stop complaining. (laughs) Shut up. Shut up and buy a Steam Deck already. God. (laughs) Nintendo's like, okay, okay, Gunpei. All right, we will let you work on this, you know, because around this time, there's another company who's kind of like starting to edge in on their territory. Um, (laughs) Stop it. I'm going to get the bat. The Game Boy, designed by Gunpei Yokoi, releases in Japan in 1989, and in the United States a little, a little bit yeah. after that. Between like the original Game Boy and the Game Boy Color, the Game Boy line managed to sell 118 million so units worldwide. There's so many fucking <laughs> Game Boys, everybody. The ge- games are... Yep. Games today are still technically a niche, right? Like you can find people who don't play video games who don't know what you're talking about. If you're like talking mm-hmm. about video game stuff, they'll be like, "I don't know what that is." They know what a video game is, they just don't know the specific game or something, right? But like right now, video games are like there's no world internet, so video games are like a niche inside of a niche population of like people of like Nintendo being able to convince families that their kids need them, which is wild. That's a wild concept in and of itself already. But <laughs> exactly, Nintendo being like, "Here's something for your kid, so they will be quiet yeah. for a little bit on car rides." Yeah, that's <laughs> it's like obscene that they're able to pull this off because, like, this is a time period where like people don't know what a video game is legitimately. Mm-hmm. Like, if they never yeah. went down that road, if they never, if they didn't have friends who were like into computers when they first got started, like they've never heard of that word ever. They're like, "What? Like a video yeah. game?" They're like, "Uh, like that thing." They did in computer science class in high school? Question mark. 
18 million copies is obscene. Yeah, isn't that That's bonkers? So now I'm going to put this in perspective because the Game Boy did have competition yeah. from a couple companies. There's two in particular I'm going to mention. Atari tries to make a comeback <laughs> during this period. <laughs> they would never really do no. a good job at it, but the Atari Lynx comes out in 1989 in North America. The Atari Lynx retails for $179 Jesus. on release. The other one, the other like handheld system that releases in this general vicinity of time is the Sega Game Gear, which releases in 1991 for $149. Wild. Oh, me too. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so both of these units featured um, full color screens and like crazy mm -hmm. graphics like to compete specifically mm -hmm. with the Game Boy because the Game Boy did not have those kind of graphics. The Game Boy has this like kind of almost gross brown and green screen. You have to like, you have this mm. knob where you can adjust the contrast to make the color, like the black kind yeah. of pop up on it a little bit better. It's bad. It's not sexy. It's And that's part of the design yeah. though. It was not designed to be cutting edge. It was not designed to be the biggest and the best and the brightest. Austin, do you know how much the Game Boy retailed for when it was released? I, less than 179 which is i wanted to say a lot of money yeah. i just went into my inflation calculator that's 456 dollars today mm -hmm. that's exactly. so much money yeah like that's so much money for a system that had less support than the game boy and did not Jesus. have that nintendo seal of quality retailed for 89 dollars wow. and it came with a free game oh yeah it sure did yep <laughs> It was packaged in with Tetris, which is also why Tetris is one of the best-selling video games of all time, because the Game Boy moved so many units. But it's like, are you going to buy the Atari Lynx for $179 or the Game Gear for $149 when like, they don't come packaged in with an incredibly addictive and amazing yeah, puzzle game? That, you can, <laughs> like, that your kid's going to play forever. The whole car ride to grandma's silent. They're, you're good. Tetris is one of those games that just like you pick it up and you just yeah. you're gone you're gone you just you you're gonna play it for at yeah. least an hour there's just something mesmerizing about Tetris we'll talk about that someday that's a yeah. big story to put the scale for everybody for inflation so I have my calculator pulled up $89 is roughly $227 versus the uh, the Atari Lynx which is like $457 there's a $200 difference between who is the known, the known <laughs> big dog who's going to give you a game that works and the dude who just got done burying his last failure in a <laughs> desert. <laughs> who are you going to trust? It's like, you know, like families could find that money to buy that. And Game Boys were made with parts that were easily accessible mm. to keep that price down. That was always Gunpei Yokoi's intent. That was his personal philosophy if you created something that wasn't like cutting edge didn't have the best graphics but you just made a solid thing that was fun and easy to make that was that's what you want that's that's the goal and i feel like nintendo has carried that philosophy mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. them through all these decades yep. so it looks like things are going pretty great for everything's Gunpei coming Yukoi. up Goonpei. it would be a shame if this was the turning point in his career wouldn't it uh oh was that a sentence <laughs> I think that was a sentence. It would be such a shame if this was the turn, the down downturn of his career. I don't know what this voice is. Um, anyway, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go to commercial break, and when we're back, we're gonna we're gonna come back with the Virtual Boy. Uh oh. Secret histories of nerd mysteries will be back after these messages. 
My name's Doug Duguay, and I'm here to talk about my podcast in the middle of the one you're listening to. It's called Valley Heat, and it's about my neighborhood, the Burbank Rancho Equestrian District, the center of the world when it comes to foosball, frisbee golf, and high-speed freeway roller skating. And there's been a Jaguar parked outside on my curb for 10 months. I have no idea who owns it. I have a feeling it's related to the drug drop that was happening in my garbage can a little over a year ago. And if this has been a boring commercial, imagine 45 minutes of it. Okay, Valley Heat, it's on every month on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Check it out, but honestly, skip it. These are the chronicles of the Rancho Equestrian District in Burbank, California. These are the events taking place in my house. Welcome back to Secret Histories of Nerd Mysteries. He had the moves, the punches, the fire. But there was one thing he would never have. Virtual Boy presents more challenges inside the third dimension. Mario's Tennis, Tunnel Boxer, Red Alarm, Galactic Pinball. Virtual Boy, a 3D game for a 3D world. Wanna play? The Virtual Boy was made with the best intentions. <laughs> but, ooh wowee. But, oh boy, Virtual Boy is one of Nintendo is i'm not gonna say is one of is nintendo's greatest there's failure. a reason they don't talk about it exactly the virtual boy who okay the 90s featured a push towards innovation every console had to have the most bits the best graphics the strangest peripherals it had to innovate or push the envelope <laughs> or it wasn't worth anyone's time which is directly contradictory to nintendo and gunpei's philosophy where you make something good and you make it mm-hmm. cheap and it doesn't have to be the best as long as it's no! Whoa, Angel. Sorry. <laughs> um, my cat, Angel, is down here with me. It's windy, and he's chasing it's leaves. Windy. <laughs> Angel is chasing leaves, and he almost fell directly onto my mic stand. Mm. <laughs> so this push towards innovation, it's going really well for Sega. That's Sega's whole yeah. thing, is they're like, we have the fastest bl- blitz processing. This hedgehog is so fucking fast, <laughs> you wouldn't even fucking believe it. Is Mario fast? No, Mario's no. boring. He's a slow little He's plumber. Slow. He's boring. He just jumped. Americans love this hedgehog. They fucking love this hedgehog. They can't get enough of him. The Genesis mm. is selling just... Yeah bonkers numbers at this point nintendo's worried they're like all right so uh what are are we gonna do about this in secret they begin working on what will become the nintendo 64 Mm -hmm. but in the meantime they're like gunpei you haven't let us we need one more gunpei (laughs) we need can you give just can you give us something and gunpei's like well Virtual virtual reality is getting really big in arcades right now. This is the first time that virtual reality in any capacity has been available for the consumer market, mostly in arcades. But Gunpei's like, maybe it is time to bring virtual reality to people's homes. But Brenda, isn't it the year 1991? <laughs> it is. Uh-oh. It is truly. <laughs> yep, it's just the 90s. Truly ahead of his time. We wouldn't get virtual reality until the 2010s when like virtual reality headsets started becoming available to consumers so uh, just a little bit too early gunpei on that but anyway gunpei 
he finds this company in Massachusetts called Reflections Technology Incorporated. And this company has been working on some technology called the private mm. eye. So Reflections Technology Incorporated has pitched this private eye technology to a bunch of companies. They've pitched it to Hasbro, Mattel, Sega. All of them mm. turned this mm. down. They just thought the technology, which is like, you know, it was a proprietary virtual reality technology mm. headset. It just wasn't ready yet. They didn't believe in it. Gunpei is like, I'll take it. <laughs> and he purchases the patent. <laughs> so now Gunpei has the private eye technology, headset mm. technology in his little hands. He probably had normal sized hands in his hands. Honestly, like I've said before, this, this whole thing wasn't Gunpei's fault. The private eye technology had to be altered so severely that what was the final virtual boy was nothing like what he had envisioned, what he hoped for, what he dreamed of. Private Eye technology featured motion tracking. Cool, great. That's like a big pivotal thing. Part of VR is that mm -hmm. you can move around. Like it makes you feel like you're mm -hmm. immersed. Nintendo says, no, we can't have motion tracking because with the headset on, it will be too dangerous, mm. which is very valid true and fair. You still see videos like today of people with VR headsets on like, I think that there's one that's been going around of like this woman just like punching her microwave. <laughs> Why was she in the kitchen? <laughs> like... well, there's also the, oh my God, there's, oh, we talked about last week, the Disney thing. Oh, the Disney thing. Yeah, that will, you know, that the, the floor that keeps you in one place as you yeah. move. That technology it, that, that is, is not available that to is consumer. today in 2024, not uh, in uh, 1990s world. Yeah. So in the in the mid 90s, it was definitely not a technology that could be available to the consumers and any sort of affordable no. price. So we've gotten rid of motion tracking. That's pretty bad. The virtual boy has to either be strapped to your head or put onto this really stupid little stand that's like two thin middle legs. It is, please look up the virtual boy stand because it is the stupidest little thing. It barely balances the virtual boy. And then you have to put your eyes up to it and hold it up to your face. It is absolutely absurd. The intent of the virtual boy's design is that you, you lay on your stomach. <laughs> like a fucking sniper exactly it's like a sniper so the second thing that has to go is the full full color screen because they're at this time extremely prohibitively expensive yeah. and it also went against like yokoi's personal philosophy of like we just need to make something that is good it needs to mm -hmm. be affordable we need to make this as affordable as possible mm. so <laughs> He's like, all right, we will make it a two-color display like the Game Boy. And we're going to go with red LEDs yeah. because they're the cheapest. Yeah. <laughs> so red LEDs are notorious for hurting yes. your eyes. <laughs> I'm staring at I have one on my microphone that's on my mute button. And I'm looking at it to just kind of live in the moment and understand what it's like to use a virtual boy. And it's like, no, that sucks. It You're not supposed to no. stare at this. And the virtual boy is in two colors red and black Sick. let's go shadow the hedgehog yep and it's like it, okay so now it's red and it hurts your eyes okay good this is going well the creation of the virtual boy is going great gunpei felt as though the console was not ready for its release date but nintendo really wanted to get it just out into production mm -hmm. and forget mm -hmm. about it they just wanted to be done with it we need to work on the n64 <laughs> The Virtual Boy releases in July of 1995, and it was discontinued by December of Oof. that same year. Yep. Yep, pretty bad. There's like 
a couple dozen games for it. That's it. It has no Mario game. It has Mario Tennis and it has a Wario game. And then other games are like Tetris and bowling and wrestling, like stuff like that. It hurts to play the Virtual yeah. Boy. It is. It, I, I cannot stress it. This thing It's sucks. not even close <laughs> to accessible. Exactly. There's contention on whether or not Gunpei Yokoi left Nintendo because of the Virtual Boy's mm. failure. Some say that he already intended to leave, mm. but he'd stayed on to finish the Virtual Boy. And others say that he was disgraced by what mm. happened. So we will never really know why he left. But he left Nintendo after the Virtual Boy's mm. release, and he started up his own company called Koto Laboratory. At that point, he would partner up with Bandai to make a new handheld console called the Wonderswan. Austin, have you ever heard of the no, Wonderswan? this is the first time I've heard that name in my whole life. <laughs> the only reason I knew about the Wonderswan was because I got really into Digimon in mm. high school. And there are Wonderswan games because it's Bandai. Bandai owns Digimon. Oh, and there are right. Digimon games that, for the Wonderswan that feature Ken's brother from season two <laughs> and Ryu from season oh, nice. three. And it fills in some of Ken's because Ken's brother has passed away when yeah, season two yeah, yeah, starts. Yeah. This kind of fills in some of like what what's, it's what's implied happened. that he had a, yeah, he had a journey hmm. in the digital world. That's what these games are about. And that's like a whole. Wow. <laughs> piece of this continuity we didn't get to know about because we never got the wonder swan oh. in america we never got these kind of story important games that's wild <laughs> yeah that's so that's all i personally know about the wonder swan it was a small 16-bit handheld console it was in black and white even though it came out in 1999 you know the game boy colors out at this point we're getting really close to the release of the game boy advance yeah. And yet, Gunpei was just like, black and white white screens are cheaper. It still works. We want to get it into the hands of people. Unfortunately, that didn't work that time. And also, we're going to take a little, like, just downturn because there was something unfortunate that happens in this point. Gunpei would never see how the Wonder Swan Mm. did. He would never get to see it Mm. release. Because on October 4th, 1997, the car Gunpei was riding in was struck by a truck. And upon leaving the car to assess the damage, Gunpei was struck and killed by another oncoming car. Yeah, he was 56 years old at the time. So the Wonder Swan would ultimately be released in 1999, and it wasn't a complete flop, but it also did not live up to what he designed Mm -hmm. previously. It did not do Game Boy numbers. It did not, it could not compete with the Game Boy Mm -hmm. Color. And so it was redesigned a couple times and re-released. It was given like a color Mm -hmm. version, but unfortunately it was quietly discontinued around the time that the Game Boy Advance was released. Like I previously stated, Gunpei's philosophy was we can use old technology to make something that is solid mm. and good. He was always looking to like utilize materials that were easy to come by. Game & Watches were made of calculator parts. You know, the calculator was his inspiration for the mm. Game & Watch. It was literally made with calculator parts. Mm-hmm. The Game Boy was black and white, so it wouldn't eat up batteries, unlike the other yeah. systems, like the Atari Lynx and the the, the, the Sega One, yeah. Game Gear. Yep, it was designed so it wouldn't eat batteries, so you could actually play it on the go, because I don't know if anyone has played a Game Gear with batteries, but it lasts like 30 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> like, and it takes like 4D Jesus batteries. Like, a Game Boy takes... Two triple A's. That's it. And it la- can yeah. last forever. Like, other gaming companies didn't understand. They didn't have to be yeah. the best. Sega can release the game year 1990 and have it be like the biggest and the best. But history would forget it. History would forget the, the links. PlayStation can make the PSP have all these features that the DS doesn't have. 
it's going to get discontinued. The PSP retailed for $249 on its release, and the Nintendo DS, which Gunpei did not have a hand in, but, you know, he left an imprint on mm-hmm. Nintendo that still resonates up to the Switch today. The Nintendo DS was $149 yeah. compared to its only competition, which was the PSP. The Switch doesn't need to be the best. I feel like this is like a hot button topic mm-hmm. right now because we're getting really close to when the Switch's successor is going to be, hopefully. Yeah, revealed. Jesus. Hopefully, like, is this the time? Is it going to be? Like, is it coming? There's supposed leaks about the specs for this new system. People are like, it doesn't it doesn't compare to, like, this mm-hmm. thing that came out in, like, the PS3, yeah. which came out in 2000, whatever the fuck. Like, the Switch doesn't have to be yeah. the best. It just has to be good. It just has yeah. to work. It doesn't want to be a Steam Deck. Yeah. It's the Switch. And this is the philosophy that Gunpei Yokoi instilled into the company's core from the moment they started making video games. This is still how Nintendo tends yep. to operate. And when they don't, bad it's things true. happen. <laughs> I mean, it's it is it's in their core because like he like you said, he made the first video game for them. If he hadn't mm-hmm. seen someone playing on their calculator that day, he he maybe have gotten the idea later, but it's also just likely he never does. And maybe yep, Nintendo exactly. dips into video games because they dipped into so many industries in their very <laughs> long company life. I mean, they're from the 19th century. Maybe they dip into video games at some point because everyone else is doing it, but it's probably not the same. And it's just a really... Yeah. I don't know, it's I like doing this show. It's funny how history works. You just happen to History's see someone wild. on their calculator bored as fuck. Like, what kind of game can I make on my calculator? <laughs> Exactly. So the next time you pick up a Game Boy or you, you know, play a Nintendo console, think of Gunpei because he doesn't get mentioned Mm -hmm. as much as other Nintendo figures get mentioned. He doesn't get the recognition that Masahiro Sakurai, Shigeru Mm -hmm. Miyamoto, Satoru Iwata, even Reggie feels to me. He was just a business guy. (laughs) He was just a man. You know, Gunpei modernized handheld Mm. gaming, you know. And he doesn't get, like, the recognition Mm. that he probably should. And there's other crazy stories I could tell. There's, like, this whole thing about him, like, pitching Nintendo in Sweden, blah, blah, blah. I could not tell that story. I did not have time. But look more into him. If you can read Japanese, he does have a book that he released. It, unfortunately, has not been translated, but Mm -hmm. check it out. You can learn more about, like, his personal philosophies. And, yeah, that's the episode on Kupei Okoi, the father of modern handheld gaming. I don't know. This episode's too long. Bye. (laughs) Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Secret Histories of Nerd Mysteries. Our music was provided by Esperanza Asterion, and you can find more of her work at knifenun.bandcamp.com. Our introduction was narrated by Greg Aronica, and you can find him at Cafe3G on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find us at Nerd Mysteries on Twitter, Blue Sky, and TikTok. The show is edited every week by Brenda Snell. If you love this show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you consume your podcast content. This podcast is a proud part of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. See you for the next mystery, Mistorians! Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.